Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. A few weeks ago, I went to a local establishment. I was coming back from an appointment, and it was near supper time, and I didn't really feel like cooking, so I stopped in at a local establishment that's got some pretty good hamburgers, and it's kind of a restaurant and a bar put together. And I walked in there by myself, and I don't know that I'd ever been in there in the evening. And I sat down at a table, and, I, and uh, at another table was a guy that I knew, a buddy of mine, and his back was turned to me, and he was visiting with two other guys. So, you know, I, I wasn't going to bother him, and I just sat there, wanted a hamburger, and just chill out. And here in a second, he, I don't know, he turned around and looked at me. He was like, hey, man, how are you? I hadn't seen you in a while. I was like, hey, it's good to see you too, you know. And he came over there and he sat down and we started visiting. And, you know, they were like at the next table. And he's like, hey, do you know these guys? I was like, no. He's like, hey, y'all come over here and meet my friend. So they came over there and suddenly my one table has four people around it now. And so much for my quiet, relaxing uh, supper, but that's okay. So I met these other two guys, and uh, they had been there for a little while, and they were not eating hamburgers, but they were having a great time. They were having a lovely time. They were jovial. And <laughs> anyway, uh, there, there's, there's nothing funner than talking to a gu- couple of inebriated guys at a restaurant, you know? You just never know what's going to be said. So my part of the conversation was like this. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no way. It, that, that was for like 30 minutes, right? But what was funny is he just introduced me as Kevin, which that's what I like. He came in and, you know, we were all sitting there visiting. He saw somebody else. So he's like, hey, I got to go talk to somebody. So he went over there. So it's just me and these two guys I don't know. And here in a second, he comes back and he sits down. And he said, hey, man, how's the church doing? And I said, it's doing real good, thanks. And those other two guys kind of had this puzzled look on their face. Now, I cannot repeat here what they had been saying. I didn't care. I wasn't there to judge nobody. He said, how's the church doing? I said, it's doing real good, thanks for asking. And they said, church and he goes oh you don't know they're like no why like this is a preacher at the cowboy church their eyes got about this big around and they're like uh-uh i was like uh-huh and it's, it turned into a two-year-old conversation uh-uh uh-huh uh-uh uh-huh and they're like well what are you doing here hamburger and they're like no really i mean like really what are you doing here and I was like, Camber Cook. And one of them leaned back and he's like, well, I'm a God-fearing man. I was like, obviously. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I bet you anything in here tonight. I said, maybe so. He said, why do you think God wanted you to come in here tonight? And I said, you know, you caught me. 
you caught me. I was just driving through, and the Holy Spirit talked to me. And he said to come in here tonight. He goes, what did he say? I said, he told me I should come in here and get a hamburger. <laughs> you know, I, I think that sometimes we look for a really deep answer, and, and that's what we want, is like this great, big, huge, theological, deep, spiritual answer. And a lot of times the answer is just, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's pretty simple, okay? I just wanted a hamburger, okay? I just wanted a hamburger. But I got to thinking about this because on Christmas Eve, I got on live stream and I read the Christmas story out of Luke in my simplified cowboy version. And there was one part in there in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, and we'll be in Luke 4 in just a second. It says, today in the town of David... The cowboy who will save your souls was born. Who will save your souls is born. Of why Jesus came. Now, I, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of reasons. It's kind of like doing the names of God. There's Jehovah, you know, this and that. I mean, there, there's a bunch of them. And, and I'm not saying that these are the only three reasons. I'm just saying that a lot of times we look for a very complicated answer and it's really not. It's actually pretty simple. But, but I'm not going to go through the Old Testament or thing. We're going to go and look at Jesus' own words. Red letter stuff if you have a red letter Bible. This is what Jesus said of why he came. The answers that Jesus gives, they're simple. And they're really, in the grand scheme of things, they are complicated. The first one is found in Luke, or the first one that we're going to talk about is found in Luke 4, 17 through 21. Now, I already read the deal where the, this is the angel talking to the cowboys, right? Today in the town of David, the cowboy who saved your souls is born. And that could be a reason that Jesus came, right? But those weren't Jesus' own words. So we're going to go and we're going to look at Jesus' own words. And the first one we'll look at is in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. To set the scene of what's going on here, um, Jesus has just dueled with the devil in the desert, okay? He's, he's gone out and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and all of this stuff, right? He's worn out and then like this is nearly the next, the first thing that happens after the duel in the desert and uh, stuff like that. He's been baptized, he goes and Satan tempts him in the desert and then this happens, he walks into a synagogue, which is a fancy word for church. He walks in, and during those old times, what they would do is they would, uh, they, they didn't really have a preacher per se. And uh, they would just, some of the elders of the church and, you know, maybe some of the rabbis and stuff like that, they would take turns getting up and reading a scripture and talking about it. So Jesus stands up and he takes the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And in verse 17, it said, He stood up to read out of the good book and turned to Isaiah. He scanned, God's Spirit is writing with me. He has sent me to bring the good news to the poor. 
I will make a way for those held captive to be let loose. And I will make the blind see. Those who are oppressed will now have a champion. I will announce that the time is now when the Lord will save his people. Jesus shut the book, handed it back, and sat down. Everyone in the church was staring at him, and he could have heard a pin drop with all their eyes locked on him and said, everything I read has come true today. So that was a prophecy by Isaiah of what Jesus would do. So he stands up and he reads out of the scroll of Isaiah, and he basically says four things in his own words of why he came. The first thing that he said in these verses is he said that he was going to bring the good news. He was going to bring the good news. And you know what? It, 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 really, it really hurts my heart because religion is the opposite of good news. Okay? Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Religion is the Tower of Babel. We're going to build up a tower so high that we can get to God. Religion is we will be good enough to deserve to get to heaven. Religious is, is a set of rules that if you can check them all off, that, that somehow you will be worthy of getting to heaven. That is religion. And let me tell you, none of those things are possible. Not a single one of them is possible. Okay, that's religion. So what is the good news? The good news, well, come on, <laughs> you're going to run. Uh, the good news is this, okay? This is the good news. You're going to get, in a good way, what you don't deserve. You're going to get what you don't deserve. As a matter of fact, the good news is this, that Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. Never sinned, not one single time, and yet he was killed in our place. He was sacrificed in our place. And basically what he did is we're nothing but sin, he was nothing but perfection, and he swapped places with us. So now, when we believe in him, God sees us just like he sees perfection, just like he saw in his son. But when he allowed his son to be crucified on the cross, he poured all of his wrath and anger out for all of mankind that Jesus died for all of their sins, that whoever believes in him. That's good news. You, there, there's not a list of things that, that you can do to deserve heaven. There's not a mistake for there's not a mistake that will not be forgiven. And I know some of you that's been around a while is like, well, there is the unforgivable sin. Yes, there is. Here's the unforgivable sin. Not believing. Okay? I mean, think about this. If belief is what allows all sins to be forgiven. Is there an unforgivable sin? Yes, unbelief. That's the good news. For whoever believes in him, whoever believes in it, this is good news. I don't, and, and you know, it, it bothers me, okay? I mean, if you follow me on Facebook, I say a lot of stupid stuff. I do. But you know what? I like to have fun. 
And you know what the worst type of Christian is? This one. Glory to God. You know what I mean? I'm like, I just want to slap them. I mean, seriously, do you not believe in the power of God? Man, where's your joy? None of your sins will be held against you. You have become a son of God. And you're walking around like somebody just, you know, threw a water balloon with cow poop at you. I mean, come on. It was he was here to bring the good news. The second thing that he said in these verses is he came to set us free from the power of sin. No longer are we, con- when, when we are, when we are Lord and Savior, and uh, when we're baptized for the repentance of our sins and all of this other stuff, we are no longer under the control of sin, but we are under the control of God. And we've been set free. We have been set free. We've been set free. No longer are we controlled by our whims and our petty desires and and material possessions and just all of this other stuff, man. We've been set free. And what is crazy is that I think a lot of people think that Christianity kind of bottles you up. Well, you can't have fun and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. You know, Paul said, everything is permissible. (laughs) Not everything is beneficial, okay? Because you can go pee on the electric fence. I wouldn't advise it. But if you have to do it, let me know because I've got a video camera. I need a viral YouTube video. We'll blur stuff out. That Jesus said in this passage is he was going to open our eyes to the truth. Going to take the blue pill, if you like the matrix. Going to open our eyes to the truth, to see just how much this world wants to control with, you know, commercials and, and the, you know, sin always looks great, but it always has a price. Jesus shows us that, that doing it the easy way won't result in a hard life, but doing things the hard way will result in a better life. He opens our eyes to the truth. And number four, we've kind of already touched on, that we will be saved based on what Jesus did. Brings it full circle, because that is the good news. He came to do for us what we could not, cannot, would never be able to do for ourselves. We are accredited with, was punished for our sins. Why did Jesus come? Think about that. In his own words, he said that he came to bring the good news, that he was going to set us free from the power of sin, that he would open our eyes to the truth, and that we would be saved based upon what he did, not upon what we do. The second passage we'll look at is found in John 3. 16. Everybody knows this verse. It's in every football game in the world on 316. But if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this over and over and over. As much as I love 316, 
it's incomplete without 317. And most people don't know what 317. Let me show you. This is how, and this is how much the boss loves his hands. He sent his only son, the top hand, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but live forever on God's outfit. For the boss didn't send the top hand to point out people's faults. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was not sent. I mean, and, and see, this is a lot of people don't understand this, that John 3, 16, Jesus was talking. He was talking about himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in life, for the son of man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. The only thing that God wants from us is John 6, 29. Jesus, his own word says this. The only works God requires of you is to believe in the one he sent. Think about that. The only works that God requires of you, that asks you to do, okay? The only, God, the only works God requires of you is to believe in the one that he sent. Jesus' own words. How complicated is that? Hamburger. Right? Isn't it crazy? Religion is the complication of the simple good news. We are not here for religious purposes. We are here for a relationship purpose. Relationship with God. A horizontal relationship between us and a vertical relationship with God. Not religion. Not a set of rules to go by. How many rules have I told y'all to go by today? None. But I have told you how much God loves you. I hope you're seeing the difference. Hamburg. The only thing in the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the son of man didn't come into the world to condemn it but to save it through him. Save it. Save it. He didn't come into the world to condemn it but to save it. I think there's no better illustration of this right here than the woman caught in adultery. So if you don't know the story, they, they drag this woman into the temple courtyard and Jesus is standing there and they're trying to trap Jesus and, and they say this woman was just caught. I don't know where the guy was because <laughs> I think it, last I heard it. Uh, it says the law of Moses requires that this woman be stoned to death. Do you agree, teacher? And Jesus says, yes. You're right. So they all start picking up stones. And Jesus leans down, but not to pick up a stone. He starts writing something in the dirt. And theologians, theologians, theologians have wondered what he wrote in the dirt all the time. But he wrote something in the dirt, and then he stood up and he said, he who is without sin shall cast the first stone. And I think it was great to drop their stones and walk away. And finally, only Jesus was left. He who is without sin shall cast the first stone. 
And then Jesus says some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. Jesus says, And she said, there are none, Lord, or something like that. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. <laughs> Hamburgers. Seriously. Hamburgers. Let me try to put this in a way that you can understand it. Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. Jesus did not come to make you good. He came to set you free. He came to open your eyes. He came to save your soul. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. In John 10, 10, says this. Jesus is talking once again to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? They may have it. Ab this is Jesus talking. Imagine in this, guys. Where's the complication in this? The thief, talking about Satan, is to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Where's the religion in that? Hamburg. Hamburgers. See, a rich life or an abundant life has nothing to do with material possessions. It has nothing to do with material possessions. The abundant life, the rich life that Jesus is talking about is giving you things that money cannot buy. Things like peace of mind. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Humble and gentle at heart. There you will find rest for your souls. You're nearly there. Come on. Forgiveness. Man, what do you call for y'all new people? You're doing good. Stay up here. of a king. What's his title? Thank you. Hey. <laughs> Come here. What do you call the daughter of a king? Princess. Words adopted us as sons and princesses. We have become adopted into God's household. Money can't buy that. Peace of mind, forgiveness, purpose, adoption into God's family, freedom. And being loved more than we can ever fathom. Being loved more ever fathom. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A satisfying life is not one without problems, but one in which you are guaranteed a victory. But one that you are guaranteed a victory.
Coming to Christ is not going to make your life going to get harder. But you know what? If you're truly following Christ, you knew this job. Go rope something. <laughs> Did y'all? <laughs> wow. All the time. So why did Jesus come and do what he did? I like to think of it like this. He came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as punishment for our sins, and now sits at the right hand of God. And this is where we end. And the amazing, I don't know if it'll mean as much to you as it means to me, but listen closely. If you've just heard blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 God, listen to this, please. Jesus came and did all that. Now he sits at the right hand of God. And you know what he does? He vouches for us. Now, if you're a cowboy, if you've ever been on a ranch and, you know, somebody lets you, like, invites you to come work cattle... Guess who's responsible for you? Guess who's responsible for you? If I bring you to a ranch and I vouch for you, guess who's responsible for you? I am. And that's what Jesus does for us. He takes responsibility for us and he vouches for us. At the right hand of God, he vouches for us. And there's nothing more powerful in the world than Jesus Christ himself, who sits at the right hand of God. And you know what he does? He's vouching for you right now. And that is beautiful.